morning, church family. For those of you in the back, I'll try to talk loud. Because we got some power generators going back there, which I know some of you are thinking, let's just get to the food and all that kind of good stuff. But hey, what a morning so far. Like, I, I don't even know if I should even preach, to be honest. I was like, I don't know what else I can say. Like, this, this is more than enough. But we love the fact that the Lord has put it on our hearts to celebrate today life change. Uh, but also, what I want to do is also celebrate just the move of Jesus Christ in our hearts as it's expressed in different ways. And, and not to distract or to pull away. <laughs> he knows me a little too well that I will eventually creep forward and fall. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought. But nonetheless, here's what I want to celebrate with you guys. Like, We want to celebrate not just changed lives. But we also want to celebrate the gospel and how it affects every aspect of our lives. And so, as you know, if you were here two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, we all experienced Snowmageddon, right? And it, it really did cause a lot of damage in the city of Austin and the state of Texas. And a lot of people had a lot of needs. And you as a church, along with other churches, stood up and, and met the challenge of helping our neighbors clear brush and homes. And especially like ripping out stuff if it needed to. But one of the things that we also felt compelled as a leadership was to encourage you all to go above and beyond in generosity. So that way we can come alongside ADRN which has got a national recognition to provide funds to pay for plumbers and other home repairs and restoration things and kind of had an audacious goal in my heart and my mind that we would go for it. But, hey, I want to celebrate with you all the generosity that came out of this church and also my former church from Minnesota. Just within two weeks, we raised $339,000. I mean, like, come on. Like, we took that and we gave that to ADRN and they're going to be using that money to be helping folks to pay the bills because insurance wasn't there. And it's an awesome move. It's a powerful testimony of the church looking outside of itself and saying, we want to love our city. We want to meet the needs of those who are in hurt and need that. So I am so proud of you guys for stepping up to the plate and do that. So it's exciting. Um, And the other part that we're going to get into this morning is start asking the question, like, why do we celebrate baptism? And why do we make Jesus such a big deal? You know, why is our heartbeat here at Austin Oaks Church to be simply all about Jesus and that our passion is to help people to meet, know, and follow him? He is the sole remedy for every need that is in our heart. He alone is all that we need. And it's our passion as a church because God has opened up our eyes and has moved us from death to life that we want to declare to all people in all places at all times that Jesus is the one. And we get this passion, we get this burden from the story that we see in Luke chapter 5. In Luke chapter 5, we see this, this scenario that's a very tense scene. 
Okay, like Jesus has been getting popularity as he's been going around doing some radical teaching about the kingdom of God. And people are like, well, he's teaching as one with authority. You know, like he's calling out people, fishermen, to follow him. He's causing fish to jump into nets. He's healing lepers and casting out demons. And people are starting to flock around Jesus. Like his name and his reputation is now spread all throughout Judea to the degree that now a, a political pressure religious group named the Pharisees and even some other teachers of the law want to know who this guy is and what he's all about. And so here we have this scene in Luke chapter 5. It's a tense scene. It's one of those moments where you can just kind of feel like something is going to happen. There's electricity in the air. There's this anticipation from the crowd that wants to hear Jesus say something and even see Jesus say something. But now we have the Pharisees coming from all different parts of Galilee and Judea. And yes, even Jerusalem itself, they're here. It's a tense moment. So let's pick up by reading verse 17. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. We had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles in the mist before Jesus. Jesus. Now let's just get this out of the way. I say roof. Some of you say roof. Whatever. Okay? People flock to Jesus. There's something about Jesus. Even the religious folks who run and control the ordinances and all of the purity rites and sacrifices for the nation of Israel are coming to find out about this man, Jesus. It's quite the scene. And we got to understand this. This isn't like, oh, look, this is kind of a nice little dinner party. No, this is like an investigative group coming to find out what this new and upcoming rabbi is saying. And if he's going to ruffle the feathers or if he's going to come out of step with the teachings that we already have established. But then we see in verse 18, that there's these four guys, these four friends of this paralytic man that are willing to do whatever it takes to bring him to the foot of Christ. Word has spread. Like, I, I have to picture this, okay? Word has spread. There's these group of guys who now are taking the initiative to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. I got to imagine that they didn't even ask this guy, hey, do you want to go to Jesus? I'm sure he probably would have said no. I just see these four guys, without even asking, picking this person up on this mat and taking the initiative and taking him to Jesus. No permission. And as they get there, imagine this, okay? Bring in your friend, which is no easy task. Also, you get to this house, and it's just a massive crowd. You can't even get in. Like, I know what I would be thinking in that moment. I'd be like, hey, guys, let's just build camp here. Let's just wait. The crowd will surely disperse. There's no way they'll stay all night. So let's just wait. Or would they? Like, we already know that the crowds are constantly pressing in on Jesus. 
Like, what if they miss the opportunity? Or what if Jesus sneaks out through the back door and they don't get the opportunity to see Jesus and bring this person to Jesus? These four friends, they weren't willing to take that risk. There was a sense of desperation on their part to do whatever it takes to get him in front of Jesus. They had faith. They had hope that Jesus could do something, that they would, if we could only just get him to Jesus, surely he will do something about this man's condition. This hope created inside of them a whatever-it-takes kind of attitude at whatever-cost position. Imagine how crazy this is. One guy just maybe goes, hey, I got an idea. How about we just go up those steps and get up on the roof and rip a hole open in the roof and drop him down in front of Jesus? What do you guys think? You nuts? Like we read this and we just skip all of the details that would have been involved in that process and just go, oh, look, we're holding a roof and they drop him down to Jesus. No, no, no. Put yourself in that scene. Because of their love for their friend and the stirring hope and faith that Jesus can remedy the situation, they thought that ripping a hole in the roof was a logical and worthwhile option. It didn't matter. This is crazy. Okay, like this has to be crazy. Without a doubt, this caused commotion. Okay, you got a crowd of people. Imagine this. Like if I'm talking to you and you start to see things happening behind me, I know you're going to be paying attention to that. So imagine also these guys or some people that are seeing four people carrying a paralytic up some stairs to get to the roof. You know people are watching this going, what are they doing? Hey, hey, you can't do that. What if the owner of the house saw it? Hey, what do you think you're doing? Like, you can imagine the back talk and the side conversations that are happening, and Jesus is just talking, and these guys get up on the on top of the roof, and now listen, there's two feet of mud and hardened clay with hay and wood that is there, so it's not like an easy endeavor just to go, boop, there's a hole. They're scratching at it. All of a sudden, you know, because there's this thing called gravity, dirt, clay, wood, hay is falling. Like, what does Jesus do in that moment? Does he stop talking? Like, is there a smile on his face? i got to imagine, just for dramatic effect, that all the wood, hay, and clay is just falling on the Pharisees only. Like, that would be rather amazing. But it's just falling there. Like, next thing you know, like, all of a sudden there's this hole, and you see four heads peeking into this hole, sweaty guys looking down, and you can see in their faces determination filled with passion and urgency, thinking, okay, okay, we've got the ropes, let's lower him down. And then I imagine, what does the paralyzed man feel in that moment? i got to imagine he feels embarrassed. Like, I don't think that guy's excited. I don't think he's like, whoa, I get to see. No, I don't think he's like, this wasn't my idea, guys. Like, and he brings them down. Like, what are the Pharisees looking? What are the people doing? I'm sure the crowd's excited because they get to see a potential miracle. And, like, I start thinking, what is Jesus thinking in that moment? Is he moved with compassion? Is he annoyed that his sermon got interrupted? Is he moved with love and yet he's hurt because sin has ravaged this person's body? I mean, imagine this scene. This is a ripe scene. It is a tense moment. And Luke clues us in as to what Jesus saw and what he felt. Verse 20. When he saw their faith. I I love this. Okay, this is why we say 
Our passion is to help people meet Jesus. Jesus saw their faith. He didn't see the faith of the paralytic. He saw the faith of the four friends that would do whatever it took to get him to the feet of Jesus. Because they believed and hoped just enough that if they got him there, Jesus would do something. And Jesus saw their faith. It was their faith, their conviction that carried this person down the road to the house. It was their faith that inspired the creative efforts to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. It was their faith that allowed them to ignore all of the other voices of the crowd, maybe even the voice of the owner. It was their faith and their conviction that laid him, the paralyzed man, at the feet of Jesus. They were completely convinced that Jesus could do something about the situation. The paralyzed man could do nothing for himself here. It was the faith of his friends that made all the difference in this man's life in this moment. Now, let's not downplay that at all. Let's not use this as an excuse. Sometimes like, well, God will do what God wants to do, so he doesn't need me to do anything for my friends, my family, my relatives, my colleagues, whatever it is. They know Jesus, God will do whatever God wants to do. No, let's not do that. I love the way that Luke said it, that the power to heal was present. In other words, that's like Jesus saying there's faith present. I love how this challenges us to realize that we have a role to play in other people's journeys. We all need people. I don't know if you experienced that in the last year, the absence of community and how beautiful and moving it is to be back in community, to realize that we need people in our lives to speak into our hearts. We need friends and family who love us, who care for us, who are willing to do whatever it takes at whatever cost to bring us to Jesus. We need people to have faith when we don't have faith. We need people to bring us to Jesus on our behalf when our faith is weakened, when our faith is shaken. We need people doing that. And here's a beautiful thing. All of these baptisms, there's people in their lives that carried them on a stretcher to the feet of Jesus. There's people in these folks' lives who've been praying for them, willing to meet with them to do whatever it takes to bring them to the feet of Jesus just so that Jesus could do something in their life. Don't downplay the role that you have. It was their faith that did that. I remember a moment in my life when I wasn't a believer, and there was a guy by the name of Michael Beckman who was constantly trying to invite me to go to InterVarsity. It was a college Christian group on campus so that I could hear about Jesus Christ. And I always said, no, you know, I always stood him up. But then he told other people to pray for me. And one of the folks that he told was a name, a student named T.J. Abel, who then ended up telling his mom and dad, who were missionaries in another country, to pray for me. And they were praying for me for a year. I go on a mission trip, and lo and behold, the family that runs the mission agency that I'm on a mission trip with is none other than mom and dad of T.J. Abel, who find out, they go, you're Brandon? 
And I went, yeah, who are you? They're like, we're T.J. Hamill's parents. I'm like, oh, so nice to meet you. And they just start crying. They're like, we've prayed for you for over a year. I look at that, I go, that's their faith. We have a role to play in helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus. It's a powerful thing, so don't downplay that. We need people to bring us to the foot of Jesus so that Jesus can do only what Jesus can do. And that's the question that I want to answer. What is it that only Jesus can do? Verse 20. When he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. Put yourself in the shoes of the four friends for a moment. The friends bring the paralytic to Jesus not because there's a forgiveness issue. They didn't go, hey, we got to take him to Jesus so that Jesus can forgive them of his sins. No, they don't think that way because they understand the temple is the place where that happens. They brought this paralyzed man to Jesus so that Jesus can make this man walk again. And the first words that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, I forgive you of your sins. He doesn't even speak about healing. Like, I don't know about you, but every time I read this story, my first thought is just the human part of me goes, Jesus, are you that clueless? Like, how did, like, how did you not know that the real issue here, the real need, the reason why he's here is because they want you to heal him so he can walk. Jesus, it feels rather cruel that you're talking about forgiveness of sins and he's not going to be healed. I mean, it's not even on Jesus' radar at that moment. He's the Son of God, and of course, He knows everything that's going to play out. But that's not why they brought them here, or brought the man to Him. Who said anything about forgiveness of sins? Now, let's think about this for a moment. Let's say, if you're married, let's say you and your spouse had a terrible fight last night, and there were words that were said that would make a vulgar man blush. And it caused so much hurt, wounded deeply. And now you're wondering how you will continue on this relationship. So you come to church, and you put on the smile, and people ask how you're doing. You say, you're doing well, and all that kind of stuff. But then let's just say, after church, I come up to you, and I walk up to the one that hurts you, and, and I say, hey, I know about your fight last night. I know what you said to you. And you're standing right there next to me. And then I proceed to say, I forgive you. Like, you would probably look at me and be like, this doesn't concern you. Why are you forgiving that person? They didn't wrong you, so how can you say you forgive them? Pastor, you just say to preaching, like, we'll deal with this. Like, that's the funny part here in this story, because when Jesus would have said, I forgive you, your sins are forgiven, that would have caused the people to go, huh? Like, did this guy offend you earlier, Jesus? Like, did something happen that we don't know between you and him? But also for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they know exactly what Jesus is saying. And that's what happens next. The scribes and the Pharisees, they began to question, saying, who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
mean, they understood how forgiveness of sins works. It works within their system. You've got to do certain things. You go to the temple for the forgiveness of sins. You have to do the sacrifices. There's ritual acts of cleansing in the feast and the great day of atonement. Jesus can't speak for God. No, the priests speak for God. We're the ones who declare to people that they're made right with God, that their sins are forgiven after we do the sacrificial atonement. You can't do that, Jesus. In fact, they knew because the Old Testament said that if someone claimed to be God and said what Jesus just said, they should be killed. So in this moment now, it's a tense scenario. And I ask the question, well, why did Jesus do this? If Jesus knew this was going to happen, why did he start start to talk about forgiveness of sins? And I want you to lean in. I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus came to meet this man's greatest need. And he came to meet your greatest need and my greatest need. And here in this story, for the first time in the Gospel of Luke, we see exactly what that need is. We start to understand what Jesus came to do. Now, I understand something. You might think you have great needs in your life. Just like in this story, the friends and the paralytic and the crowd thought that the paralytic's greatest need was the fact that he couldn't walk. Was that a need? Absolutely. Does Jesus care about that? Absolutely. But it's not what Jesus responded to first. Because as desperate as the friends were of getting this man to Jesus, Jesus was even more desperate to make sure that this person's relationship with God was restored. Forgiveness of sin is the greatest need. We have to understand this. This is why Jesus came. And only God can forgive us our sins. Only God can do that. Because it's only against God that we have truly sinned against. Yes, we may have hurt and offended other people, but ultimately our act of sin is acted against God alone. Jesus came because he knows that our greatest need is far greater is far greater than any physical need, any emotional need, any mental need, any financial blessing, any other temporary we need in this life. Yes, those are all important, and yes, those are all great. Of course, God knows all that, but in this life, in the here and now, it's all temporary. This life is a moment. It's a mist. It's a vapor. What really matters is the eternity that awaits All of us. If Jesus didn't deal with this greatest need, every single one of us would be living in an eternity apart from God, and that's what the Bible calls hell. Jesus came to remedy that scenario, to fix that solution, or to bring the solution to that problem. Jesus is the one who leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's passionate about making sure that you and I are restored to the Father, that our sins are forgiven, and that's why he went to the cross. So I want to ask you this question, and I want you to answer this question. Regardless if you already know all of this, or maybe this is the first time you're hearing it, I want you to answer this question. What is your greatest need? 
truly. What do you think your greatest need is in this life? And what if your greatest need is different than what you think it is? You see, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17 that our heart is deceitful above all things. Our hearts can easily convince us that our greatest need will fulfill our ultimate desires, which they never will. Because we don't know what our greatest desire is. But God does. Our greatest desire is to live and worship Him. That's what we were created for. And we can't do that until our greatest need is met. Forgiveness of sins. So what if you dared to ask Jesus that question right now? The silence of this moment. I'm going to give you just a moment just to ask him. Ask God right now what your greatest need is. I promise you, he will answer it 100% of the time. What you need most from me is to experience my love for you, which is why I forgave you. Life cannot work without being forgiven by God. Just can't. You can't truly forgive others until you've received His forgiveness. You can't truly find peace until your greatest need is met. You can't have peace until you realize that your greatest desire is to be restored and reconciled to God. You can't truly love until you first experience His love. And I know that you've answered this question differently. Every single one of us has. And I don't know where you've been, and I don't know what you've done, or even what you are planning to do. But I can tell you with 100% certainty that your greatest need right now is to know that you are forgiven and loved by Jesus. And it's up to you now to receive that forgiveness by faith. I guarantee you, Jesus will always meet your greatest need. Always. that's why in this scene, it starts to unfold this really odd question where he comes down and the, the Pharisees are thinking this thing and you're like, well, who is he who can do this? And Jesus asks him a rhetorical question. It's like, well, which one's easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? To which we would answer the same as they would. We would, of course, say, well, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven because you can't verify that. We can't see that. It's arbitrary. It's subjective. Because we love to see and live by sight. They're like, well, if I told this person to rise and walk and he doesn't walk, well, you know I'm a phony. And Jesus goes, well, to prove to you that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, which is truly the harder thing, I say to this man, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. Friends, listen, your need right now is to realize that God loves you unconditionally. And I know we live in a culture and in a time 
that it's doing its very best to try to be independent of guilt and independent of shame by believing there is an all-benevolent God or no God at all that holds nothing against anybody, but that's not a God of justice who doesn't even care about evil. We live in a time and in a culture where it's not fashionable to talk about morality, what's right and what's wrong. A culture that's trying its best to numb out guilt and numb out morality because everything is relative and truth is personal to you. Just don't tell me what is right and just don't tell me what is wrong because if you do, I'm going to cancel you. Here's a reality. Sin has already canceled you. You're canceled. This is so cliche. You know where I'm going. But God doesn't. And he never will. Our culture is trying to remedy and medicate what we know is deep in the human heart. I've never met a person, still to this day, that even though they will justify to me all day long their decisions and choices in life, that does not feel a sense of guilt and shame and condemnation when we start to talk about God. Here's the good news. Jesus came to forgive sins. He went to the cross where he would pay for the ultimate price of your forgiveness so that you don't have to carry your guilt and your shame where you're no longer condemned. His blood, his broken body, his death was our ransom. It was the payment for the debt that our sin has accumulated. That's why he alone can say your sins are forgiven. It's not just semantics. It's not just nice words given by a nice guy. These are words of love and power. It was something that he had to purchase with his blood because he loves you. And he wants to fix the greatest need in your life. That's why he can say, I forgive you, because he's already paid for it. That's what the cross is all about. If he can make this paralytic man walk, if he can think for thousands of fish to get into a net, if the wind and the waves have to be still when Jesus says cease, and he can tell dead people to come out of the graves, you can believe him when he says he forgives you. So here's the question. Will you receive this? Because this is the picture of baptism. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. We need to be buried with Christ in his death. The old ways gone, dealt with. And when we come up, it represents his resurrection where he conquered sin, death, the grave, our greatest enemy. It was on that cross where his blood was shed that paid for your debt so that you can rise again for newness of life starting now. And I know some of you might be thinking, that's great, Pastor. But my marriage is this. I'm addicted to that. I lost this and that job. These are all great needs. And yes, they are. And God cares deeply about those as well. But if your heart isn't restored and made right with the Lord, I promise you, he wants to move passionately towards that. To forgive you. 
so that you can live in the fullness and newness of life with Him. So this morning, this afternoon, I want to challenge you. If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never received this gift of life, this is your moment to say yes. Some of you may have been invited here. Some of you may have experienced people bringing you to the foot of Jesus. It's because they're believing on your behalf that Jesus can do something in your life. I'm going to pray for us. We are far from finishing worshiping this morning because we're going to hear something powerful how God works give you an opportunity to respond. So Father, I praise you for your word. God, I thank you that you are good, you are true, you are loving. Lord, that you love so much that when we didn't care, try to meet our needs on our own and pile sin upon sin. You loved, you gave, you moved towards. Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters out here in the courtyard this morning, or even those online. If you're feeling like the Lord is calling you to himself this morning, if you hear him speaking to you that he wants to forgive you of your sins. That you would receive that by faith. Because this is what he's he came for. This is what he's about. So Lord, would you speak to our hearts? Would you use these final moments? you. 